That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I guess it's uh, Mondays and Thursdays slash Fridays now. Uh, I am your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I have been doing absolutely nothing for the past few days, except for watching baseball, of course. I've probably logged about like 30 hours at this point. It is uh, Sunday at 8.05 p.m. The Mets and Braves are in the third inning right now. The Braves are up 3-1. to one. They got bases loaded with nobody out. So uh, they could uh, tack on some runs here. Looks like Dansby Swanson's up against Porcello. Uh, yeah, I just saw it happen. Life is good. Life is great. Even though, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I'm behind. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will, I, will, I will have a live reaction in a little bit. But uh, I'm so glad baseball is back. It's been way too long. <laughs> I needed this. Yeah, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a refresher. Um, definitely, mm-hmm. you know, no crowds is something to get adjusted to, but we have that's into the gap. That's over the left fielder's head. What is that? Two? That's probably two. It's two. So that's five five one Braves in the third. So yeah, but the biggest, you know, you could argue one of the two is. It's one of the top two biggest news stories uh, that we didn't address on Tuesday's episode. Is uh, the MLB uh, right at the deadline chose to expand their playoffs from 10 Mm -hmm. teams to 16 teams, definitely changing things up in the league. Uh, I think it's a great idea. Yes. This 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 year might as well just be like a, a again test a test. Uh, guinea pig, if you will, like see, see, you know, you're seeing how the universal DH works. Why, why not just like uh, play around with playoff teams and see what happens? Because you know, in 60 games, we've obviously talked about you know, really good teams could have bad 60 game stretches and miss the playoffs. This is sort of preventing that, but it's also giving new teams a chance that they would not have gotten otherwise. So I think that's going to be really fun. And every team has a much more of a reason to be competitive now. Yeah, this is definitely the time to do that. Um, because I mean, like through, so six, 60 games would team started taking 60 games about at about like June 2nd last year. And I can't imagine like on June 2nd last year being like, okay, now we're going to do the playoffs. That's, you know, it would be hard to kind of go with the same playoff format and with the 16 teams, I think that's definitely going to uh, going to make it a little more interesting. I think that's appropriate for a sixty game season. Um, however, you know we'll we'll see how it works out. Mm-hmm. But my gut feeling now is I wouldn't love it for a one hundred sixty two game season because I feel like it's pretty conclusive at that point. Yeah. It's so yeah. It's uh, you know, expanded playoffs. We like it for now. There's a lot of things that we like for now. Um, another thing is uh, you know, another thing that changed. We we. I mean, I'm love, looking for more baseball too. 
yeah, we're we're always up for more baseball, and mm-hmm. it will be weird. We don't know how they're going to handle the how it gets into November. Are they going to play at the same parks? We don't really know that. If there's no fans, there's no real reason to play at a specific park. Exactly, yeah. So mm-hmm. you should, especially like, you know, mid-November, if, if you're thinking the World Series is probably going to happen, it's probably game seven might happen, like, between, like, November 10th and November 15th. At Marlins Park. Like, yeah, you have – you. You can't do that if you can't do that on the East Coast or in the Midwest. It's not gonna work out. No. I mean you can't do that. It's gonna be way too cold. We've we've both lived in the Northeast all our lives, so we know exactly what it's like uh to be in the middle of November. Uh with like you know, we're lucky to get above freezing on those days. Yeah, sometimes it, it is hit it is hit or miss. It'll be like sixty five degrees and then all of a sudden it's like thirty five degrees. Yeah. It's it's quite odd, um, but yeah, I mean, expanded playoffs they'll definitely sort that out. But yeah, best it starts off best of three, then goes into best of five, and then uh, league championship series and World Series as always uh, is going to be best of seven, which I like. Best of three, there's going to be some weird stuff probably, but uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, that's the expanded playoffs. And also something we got to see on Friday was the extra innings rule into effect. That was pretty interesting. So, I mean, I'm not sure what your take is on this whole thing, Chris. Honestly, I don't really know. I don't think much of it. Like, I don't think, I don't, I don't really think there's anyone out there that loves it. I know there's people out there that hate it, which is, I think kind of just people are quick to hate things that change automatically. I'm sort of indifferent. I mean, it's fair. Like you can't, if you lose a game because of the extra inning rule, you can't say it's not fair. Because guess what? Your team had a runner in, at second base with no outs, too. Like, you could have gotten him in. And, you know, Mike Clevenger uh, of the Indians put out a tweet yesterday after the Indians lost on that scenario. Uh, sort of just putting out his thoughts on how he thought the rule was whack, as he called it. Um, what are your thoughts on it, Chris? Well, initially, of course, my my gut reaction is usually uh, – bad i usually don't like messing with the game however you know i do think about uh, hockey and how they handle it hockey they have a five minute overtime period um after the regulation ends and it's also kind of a low scoring game a little more low scoring than baseball and then they go into shootouts so but in the playoffs uh they just go 20 over overtime uh 20 minute overtime periods until the game ends. So until that first uh, goal is scored, that's when they end. So I think if baseball maybe does this in the regular season and then <laughs> Braves are, are killing it once again. And oh, uh, they reloaded the bases. Yeah. I'm behind. So, but yeah, the, you know, I think if they, in the playoffs, if they changed it back to the regular rules, I think that would be a good thing. I don't – yeah, I don't love it in I – hate, I hate if the World Series had to end like that. Yeah, I think, you know – and it definitely devalues, you know, your team depth when you mm-hmm. add that rule in the – Oh, Ender just cranked one. That's not getting out, but that's probably three. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, it definitely messes with depth and in extra innings. However, like it is, so, it is somewhat a relief when you know, especially when uh, we were watching the the late night game. It was like, oh, this is going into <laughs> extra innings, but it's not going to go until five in the morning. <laughs> we know that. Yeah, that was Matt Olson just cranked a walk off grand slam on one pitch from Hobie Milner. Yeah, that was a that was a hilarious thing. One but pitch. also, one thing I will say is, I don't think there's much to complain about with games that go like 15 innings or longer. I I looked it up. Last year, there were 16 games that went uh, 15 innings or longer. And that is 0.7% of all baseball games. So there's a 0.7% chance that a game will go 15 innings or longer with those. And that's even less this year. Yeah. So, you know, this year, of course, it's going to change. But under regular rules, there's less than a 1% chance that a game will go 15 innings or longer, which is what everyone complains about. No one really com- complains about, like, the 12-inning games or the, you know, even, you know, 13, 14-inning games. No one's really complaining about that. But it's like, oh, you know, what if it goes 17 innings? There's not a huge chance. There's a less than 1% chance that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not too much to complain about. But, you know who knows, maybe spicing up extra Indians could make the game a little more interesting. Um, and we'll see how it plays out for a 60 game season. Maybe we, maybe we'll yeah. be like, maybe it's decisive that we do like it at the end. Who knows? Um, some other things about, you know, the 2020 baseball season, how do we, <laughs> I've one thing I did find interesting is those uh, like the fans on the zoom chat, like yeah. they show on the broadcast. I, it's kind of weird. So I was watching the end of the Mariners and Astros game today. Same. And I, this is the only, this is the, yeah, this is the only game I saw this particular uh, usage of it with where the Mariners scored, uh, you know, runs late in the game to come back against the Astros. And like, they were showing the fans on zoom, like their live reactions, everyone in their living rooms was like going crazy on zoom. And I thought it was really funny. I mean, I mean, why not? Like it's, you know, I, this is a joke that you and I made this weekend, but I mean, how how twenty twenty is that? I mean, you know, you know, you know, Daniel. I mean, you love. You, I mean, it's so twenty twenty. I mean, you got the Zoom call. I mean, you got you got rain delays to, to, in the first game of the season. I mean, how twenty twenty is that? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> I love. Yeah, we do love also that that was like the first joke made. It's yeah. just it was the easiest joke uh, in that opening game. Rain delay. How twenty twenty is that? But yeah, exactly. The the fans on Zoom is uh, that's pretty interesting. And bef- do you want to do the bullpenning rant? Yeah. Now yeah, I need or to, no, I, mean, Yan- I want to do it now because it's on okay. my mind. So I've been today. I was watching the Yankees and Nats game, and Patrick Corbin was dealing. I mean, like th- this is the third best starter in this rotation. I was talking to my dad. He's probably an ace in like 20 to 25 other rotations. He's the third best pitcher in the Nationals rotation, which is which says, you know, it speaks to how good their starting pitching is, right? And he's he's got, I think, one hit allowed through the first six innings of the game. And in the seventh, he strikes out Aaron Judge to begin the inning. 
and then gives up a home run to Glaber Torres. And he miss, missed the spot on the slider, left it a little up. No big deal. He was only at 75 pitches. And I was like, all right, well, you know, that's one little – it's one hiccup there. He'll keep going. He'll get through the seventh, even though he had to face four and five. He had already struck out Stanton twice that day anyway, even if he was killing it the first two games. Nope, they take him out right after the Glaber Torres home run. And Will Harris proceeds to give up a home run to tie the game to Luke Voigt. And the next inning, Sean Doolittle gives up the game-winning run on an RBI single again to Torres. And both, I mean, okay, listen, the Nationals obviously were not bullpenning by definition. They weren't using openers. They weren't having a guy go one time through the order. But that decision still bugs me, mostly because I'm a Red Sox fan. So by default, I have to hate the Yankees. But the fact that the Nationals had a .9 reliever wins above replacement last year, according to fan graphs. That is 22nd uh, in the major leagues. They also had the worst ERA and whip in the bullpens in the National League. So, and they didn't add anyone of note in the previous offseason. So, breaking news, Nationals bullpen, it's not very good. As I mentioned, Corbin, great starter. And I looked at Corbin's numbers in the seventh inning. I know this is very arbitrary, but over the last three seasons, Patrick Corbin has an 092 ERA in the seventh inning in 29 and the third innings pitched. And I get that he gave up a home run too, but those numbers speak to the idea that he's probably not going to do that again. And guess what? A really, a Patrick Corbin, a top of the line starter through the end of his start is still a better option than a bad bullpen. And that decision pretty much cost the Nationals the game today. And my, my rant about bullpenning as a whole is that it's only going to work if you have a completely effective bullpen all around, like you have to be the Rays where you have like lists of guys that are like either under the radar or elite, or just like everyone knows how elite they are. Like you can't just like throw out random guy after random guy in a, in a long-term sample size and have it work. That's just not going to happen unless you have, you know, a team like the Rays. And that's my take on bullpenning. The Red Sox are doing an opener tomorrow with Josh, Josh Osich. Uh, I'm not expecting much, but that is my thoughts on bullpenning. Yeah, and also, like, if a if a guy – and I know it's not the case with Corbin, but if a guy's slightly worse than the uh, – if a guy's slightly worse on, like, their third time through the order, but they're still mm-hmm. – but they're still better than a bullpen guy their first time through the order, you still – you know, yeah. you still have to go with the – with with the starter there, I think that just gets confused. It bugs me too because, like, if Glaber hit that home run in the fourth inning instead, he would have kept going. It's because, like, that one, like, oh, he gave up a home run. That must mean he's done now. Okay, well, let me take him out and put in this bullpen that's going to give up two runs. Like, no. Yeah, that's, and that's come back to bite um, some teams. Like, in the postseason, it, it, it's happened a lot. You know, the, the Astros, when they took out Granky, that was debatable. Yeah. Um, and that was and sorry to cut you off, but that was only like the second or third base runner he allowed all day. It's not like he had a few walks and his pitch count was getting up there. And the first, you know, he happened to wait until now to give up an earned run. He was dealing up until that one pitch to Glaber, and that set the whole thing off. Yeah, I mean, and Granky was sort of the same case. He gave up a home run and a mm-hmm. walk, and it wasn't like it was two bums that he gave up a home run and a walk to. It was Rendon and Soto. I remember Kyle Hendricks in game seven of 2016. I think he gave up like one base runner in the seventh inning. 
and uh, or sixth inning. That was like got, a fifth inning. He didn't yeah, even go five. He, was, he gave up one run up to that point, and Joe Madden yanked him for John Lester, and they immediately gave up two runs. You know, yeah. I just – like, I think the panic button, it's being pressed a little too soon to, sometimes, um, you know. And, you know, uh, an old-school manager like Dusty Baker definitely wouldn't do that. He lets guys go a little too long. I like, listen, I love analytics. I'm the biggest analytics guy out there. But sometimes you have to recognize, hey, maybe this bullpen is still not as good of an option as a frontline starter who is 75 pitches deep into his start with one bad hiccup. Yeah, and pitch count. And, I, and if you want analytics, 092 ERA in the seventh inning over the last three seasons and 29 in the third innings pitched. There it is. And, and pitch count was not a factor at all because no. Max Scherzer pitched 99 pitches in his first start, so that was – you know, what the Nationals were doing. And Patrick Corbin last year with the Nationals on his opening day start pitched 94 pitches. So mm -hmm. it wasn't – it definitely wasn't a pitch count thing. I think they just thought he didn't have it anymore, which is absolutely incorrect. It's, it sucks that he had that short of a leash. That was the one mistake he made the entire day. I don't yeah, even think he blocked anyone. I think he, had a, I think he had one base runner allowed up until that point. Yeah, it's uh, and it also happened to be Glaber. Glaber hit a hit. Glaber hit the first uh, base hit for the Yankees in the fourth inning. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So there, there you have it. There you have it. Um, some some early surprises uh, in to start off twenty twenty. Yeah. All right. I wasn't going to talk about this till later, but I think I'll just address it now. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, they lost two of their, of their uh, three games to the Astros this weekend. But one thing that really stood out to me was. <clears throat> Bless you. All right, we'll, we'll cut that out. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me about the Mariners and how they played this weekend was the two through four hitters in their order of J.P. Crawford, Kyle Lewis, and Kyle Seeger. Each of them had a phenomenal series against the Astros. And I'm really interested to see. And not, I mean, it's the Astros. It's, it's Justin Verlander. It's Lance McCullers. It's Zach Greinke. They're facing legit pitchers here. J.P. Crawford uh, hit 333 with a 1278 OPS in the series. Kyle Lewis, 364, 1371. Kyle Seeger, exact same thing, 364, 1371. Those dudes absolutely raked in the middle of that order. And I was definitely not expecting that, except for I was pretty high on Kyle Lewis, but I was not ready for that type of production this early. Same thing with Kyle Seeger, who I think a lot of people – uh, believer on a decline and jp crawford as well who's uh just trying to make a name for himself pretty much yeah the you know that that kind of sticks out and doesn't get noticed when the team you know doesn't win the series or sweep the series and to be fair they're pretty much the only ones that did anything of note except for uh tim lopes today i think that i believe that's how you pronounce his name went three for four uh so that was interesting but other than that uh pretty impressed by the Mariners meet of the order there. So, yeah. And we mentioned that expanded playoffs were one of the two biggest stories uh, in the past week that we did not address. So we recorded on Monday and on Wednesday, uh, Mookie Betts signs mm -hmm. for 12 years, $365 million. Uh, probably, probably does not get as much as people expected. I mean, I think a lot of that could have to do with COVID. 
Yeah, I mean, I believe personally that him signing the deal to begin with all had to do with COVID. It was pretty clear that he was going to uh, test the free agent market. And, you know, COVID happens and the market, we have no idea what it's going to be like. So Mookie Betts figures he's going to take the guaranteed money. He deals out with the, uh, with the Los Angeles Dodgers and probably ultimately, you know, I guess COVID has a, has a, a plays a factor in this. He probably signs a, a bit of a team friendly deal. I guess yeah. you know, the signing bonus uh, helped the deal out, but you know, he's making an a, an average annual value less than a lot of guys, you know, uh, Anthony Rendon was the first guy I thought of, which, you know, he's a very good player, but I think you still put bets ahead of him. You know, bets is getting like $5 million a year less than Anthony Rendon, but I guess that signing bonus kind of has a, has a uh, factor with that. And, you know, I've seen a lot, obviously I'm a Red Sox fan. So I've seen a lot of takes uh, from the Red Sox perspective of this. Obviously you trade him for Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs and Connor Wong. Uh, a few months ago, and, and there was a lot of hope that maybe we would re-sign him, being that we were now under the luxury tax for the first time in years. And that's not going to happen now. Mookie Betts is going to play pretty much the rest of his career in Los Angeles. And the difference between the Red Sox and Dodgers here is that the Dodgers offered him what he was worth. The Red Sox offered him, I think the highest offer was 10 years and 300 mil, maybe a little bit north of that. The Dodgers exceeded that in both the years and the money. And... I can't be mad at Mookie Betts. Like he, he got what he was worth and that's what he deserves. He has nothing to prove left to the city of Boston. He's won an MVP. He's won a world series. He's gotten numerous gold gloves, silver sluggers. I think even a platinum glove in there. He does not owe the city of Boston anything. It's up to him to get his money. And he got it in LA and not in Boston. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I don't think, I, I'm, I don't think anyone, no, no one in Boston is really upset at, Mookie, which kind of, yeah, yeah, no, I don't think that's a thing. A lot of ownership. Ownership is the one, the point to point your fingers at here. It's John Henry, Tom Warner. It might be Sam Kennedy. It's up in that front office. I don't think it's Heim Bloom's fault either because he was kind of brought in to be essentially a scapegoat uh, in that moment, at least. So, yeah, it is what it is. The Red Sox fumbled the fumbled the bag on a Hall of Fame caliber player. Uh, the most talented player that I've seen in my lifetime and people, someone who's like 35 years old could probably say that too. So it sucks. Uh, the, the Red Sox might never recover from this one for a long time. This is, I think this is going to be one where we look back and think, man, like they really screwed that one up. They could have had that, but they wanted financial flexibility. Yeah. The one thing it is weird uh, looking at this completely in hindsight and you know, you, you do want them to spend all the money they can, but you realize, you know, the Red Sox have been paying, have been, have had, you know, the highest payroll or a top three payroll for a while. It's where they're spending the money. If they knew, and we, we both agreed on this, uh, this past weekend, if they knew that, uh, that the money would run out eventually, why would they prioritize uh, two pitchers with, you know, previous injury problems before that. If you want to sign them and bets, that's completely fine. 
Yeah. But if you knew the money was going to run out, why aren't you prioritizing the defending MVP who probably had the best season uh, by an individual in the American league? Yeah. The best season by an individual player, I would say since possibly uh, bonds era. I I would say Bryce Harper's 2015 and that's about it. I mean, even, you know, Bryce Harper's 2015, you know, bets, I think he outdid him in both of the, both B war and F war because of a defense and the fact that he stole 30 bases. Yeah. I mean, I think offensively that we have not, we might not ever see a Harper 2015 again for a while, but I think that's the only year that you could really put up with Mookie's 2018 uh, in the last decade, maybe a trout season, maybe his 2019 is maybe even his 2018 is 2016. There's so many trout seasons. His 2013. Uh, so this brings us into our next topic. Chris, do you have any closing thoughts on Mookie bets? Yeah, I mean that. That's it. You know, I I understand if the money runs out. I mean, no, not a lot of teams spend like the Red Sox, but they definitely made a giant mistake in where they prioritize that money. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, you you either got to sign all three. Or you gotta, you know, decide between you gotta put bets in front of, you know, Chris Sale and, and Nathan Eovaldi. But that's you know, they they didn't do that and they kind of they kind of went short sighted by prioritizing those guys ahead of Mookie Betts when they knew the money was gonna run out. So our next topic, Justin Verlander. There's been a lot of conflicting reports about him over the past couple hours at first. He was out for the rest of the year. And when I saw that, I mean, I was, that changed, that would have changed everything in the AL West. You know, then now you're looking at the A's to make a run at the division. You might be looking at the Angels to sneak into one of those wild, one of those five wild card spots. Uh, That's a guy who had put up seven B war in the previous season. That's a guy you probably aren't winning the division without. Uh, But Justin Verlander has since tweeted, he is not out for the year. He's a forearm strain and he's going to be, uh, shut down for a couple weeks and then reevaluated. So that doesn't necessarily mean he's not done for the year. Uh, I think it's unlikely, but as of now, what we know is that Verlander is not pitching for the next couple weeks. Yeah, and one thing, one player that you could make a par- parallel to where it might get worse and it might go down to the elbow is Luis Severino, because mm-hmm. we knew Luis Severino was having forearm issues and you know now he's out for the year i mean you know i'd say the one the one difference there is that verlander and severino are at two completely different stages of their career where one of them is trying to build a name for themselves at like their mid-20s one of them is has you know already proved everything he needs to do he's already a hall of famer uh, of course he just won the cy young so he's still definitely a guy uh that everyone should want on their team but that's that's the only difference i can really think of between those two there yeah, Verlander, yeah, I think, yeah, this year he's probably going to be more persistent in trying to get back. I mean, he's, what, 38 years old? Yeah, something I, like that. Yeah. Hold on. It is, and it is weird, you know, he's a guy who's had one of his best years ever, you know, in his age 37 season. And, he's 38. He's in his age 38 season. Yeah, and he's, he's – it is it's the 30, Ast- 37 season, sorry. Yeah, and we're still in the Astros window of them being able to win championships. Um, yeah. 
so he's probably going to try to get back out on the field. I mean, you know, after after the report that he was going to be out for the season, I was ready to write the the Justin Verlander, you know, tribute to his career. <laughs> yeah. I was ready to talk yeah. about, you know, how awesome his career was, but, you know, we could see him back uh, in in 2020. You know, I think a lot of people are quick to judge with that team in particular, but none of the scandals that are that have been going on for the past, how long has it been, like nine, eight, nine months at this point? Um, since November, so November. Yeah. yeah, about eight, by the way, eight months. All these scandals, it has nothing to do with Justin Verlander. He was not affected by the trash cans. He's a pitcher, and he's still a really good pitcher, uh, regardless of what team he plays on. So that's a guy you should be rooting for as an individual. You don't have to root for his team, and I completely understand if you don't want to. But I think you should have a soft spot for Justin Verlander. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> it it is funny because he's uh, – you can understand there's every, – every person on the planet is, is somewhat jealous of, of Justin Verlander. <laughs> yeah. He's not someone where you see – you see him and you could be like, oh, I can achieve what Justin Verlander has achieved nope. in his life. In multiple aspects of life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. He's, uh, he hasn't had very many bad breaks, and, uh, but this is one of them. So, you know, you just, as a, as a baseball fan, you want to see him go back out there and perform like he has for the past uh, few years. And, 15 years. Yeah. Since, you know. Yeah, because he did have he, he did fade out, and then he kind of had a resurgence like 2016 on, and then the Astros yep. definitely helped. But yeah, that's Justin Verlander, and we're gonna go right into what happened on the field, stuff that happened yeah. on the field. Um, we'll right. start in the National League East with uh, maybe maybe the biggest surprise of the past weekend: the Marlins win their series mm-hmm. over the Phillies. Uh, kind of slowing down the hype train of the Phillies. And I know a lot of people have them as kind of a sleeper team. It started off in game one. Sandy Alcantara gave up one earned run in six and two-thirds innings. Uh, six and two-thirds innings. And the Marlins had a four-run sixth uh, in the uh, first game of this of the yeah. first game of the series. That's, uh, that was one of my guys to watch for. Oh, yeah, that's correct. And then Sandy Alcantara, and another guy that I had was Zach Wheeler. This guy has been taking a lot of heat for the contract that he signed with the Phillies uh, over the offseason, and I've been a Zach Wheeler apologist. I am ready to back back him up whenever I need to, and he shined in his Phillies debut. Granted, it was the Marlins. I get it. He's got the Yankees this week, and that'll be a real test. But, hey, one run in seven innings pitched, only three hard-hit balls in 24 batters face. That's exactly what you should be doing against the Marlins, and that's what Zach Wheeler is there to do. So Zach Wheeler on Saturday provided the Phillies their only win. Also, Phil Gosselin hit two home runs in that game. Uh, chalk that one up as something you didn't expect to see. I can promise that one. I didn't even realize he was still on a major league roster until I saw he hit a home run. Yeah, I didn't. I don't really know of the who. What was like his former team? Phil Gosselin. What was his What was his former team like before this? The Cardinals, the Pirates. He's kind of a journeyman. Yeah. I, to up. Uh, but then on Sunday, the tides turned a bit. The Marlins slugged their way to an 11-6 win. The Phillies went up four nothing in the first after Bryce Harper hit a shot to make it three nothing, and they later scored again. 
Uh, Vince Velasquez didn't look very good. Neither did the rest of the bullpen, which is a big concern because it looks like they might only have two dependable starting pitchers if Nola can at least be better. But Wheeler definitely looked great. Uh, the, the star Marlin of this series was Miguel Rojas. He went seven for 10 with a home run, a double, and a triple, along with five RBIs. And then to round out the rest of the National League East, as far as individual play goes, uh, the Braves and Mets are playing right now. The Braves are winning 7-1, to one, so they're probably going to win the series. Um, they came back against Edwin Diaz in the ninth yesterday. Down to the last strike, Marcelo Zuna hit a home run, and Dansby Swanson hit the go-ahead RBI. Uh, so this is a series that got away from the Mets after DeGrom and Soroka had a pitcher's duel on opening day. Cespedes hit a home run in his first game in almost in over two years. So that was cool. And uh, that's just about the individual play in the NL East. Yeah, and then it goes over to the interleague play of the eastern third of the country. The Yankees uh, and Nationals, they, they were in the spotlight this weekend. They were the first game, the first – the first game in uh, about 10 months or nine months uh, on Thursday night where, you know, the Yankees got off to a good start. John Carlos Stanton has been looking very good in the three games that he has played. And, uh, you know, Garrett Cole looking like Garrett Cole. Uh, he, I mean, you know, I guess his career strikeouts per nine might've gone down. He only had five strikeouts in five innings, <laughs> but he did allow one run in five, in five innings and uh you know the only Yankees, one hit too yeah only one hit and i think one walk um mm -hmm. and yeah that one hit was that adam eaton home run and then max scherzer uh you know the yankees offense i guess they got to him uh not a great start for my national league cy young pick but then on saturday i didn't really catch any of the saturday game james uh, paxton pitched one inning one plus i guess did not look very good. Yes. Yeah, so the Nationals won by a good deficit, right? It was nine to two. Victor Robles finished a triple shy of the cycle. There we go. That's my yeah. that's my guy to look for. And yep. yeah, and then today we pretty much described today. Yep. Corbin was going great, and uh, and then the the bullpen comes in uh, pretty pre preemptively. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they give up that lead. The Yankees bullpen keeps the lead and, uh, they win that game. And yeah, I mean, pretty, a pretty, uh, pretty good series to start. I mean, Yankees nationals, you have the defending champions against yeah, yeah. probably the world series favorites for this year. So that, that was a good one. That was a good, uh, series to start, to start off. So now we're going to look at the AL East, the individual play. Uh, we'll start out with the Blue Jays and Rays. The Blue Jays came out swinging on opening day Friday. Kevin Biggio hit a three-run home run in that one. The Blue Jays won 6-4. Hyunjin Ryu looked pretty good. I don't think he went too deep into his outing. I don't even think he got the win. But he looked all right. And then on Saturday, uh, Matt Shoemaker pitched pretty well. The Rays, uh, I think, outpitched them, though. Oh, uh, the Rays had a... Um, Brandon Lau hit a go-ahead double in the eighth that put him on top. That happened. Yeah, and Ryan, Yarbr Ryan uh, Yarborough, mm -hmm. he went five and a third scoreless, I believe. 
Yeah. And the guy who got the win in that game was my guy, Nick Anderson. He pitched four outs. Actually did not get a strikeout, believe it or not. But he pitched very well, got a win. And today we had the extra innings rule uh, come into play. The Blue Jays got a run, got their runner in in the 10th. And Kevin Kiermeyer hit a two-run, two-run double in the bottom of the ninth to win the game. And the Rays took the series two games to three. Or two games to one. Yeah, that was a. Uh, it was interesting. I didn't know that uh, Blake Snell was still kind of building back up from his injury yeah. last year. So he only went two innings, uh, but he did strike out five, and he went scoreless. And the Rays are the team that can get away with bullpenning because they have a really good bullpen on all aspects. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So definitely, uh, the Rays were relentless. The Blue Jays happened to blow the game twice. Um, on this Watch for the Blue Jays, though. They can be interesting. I mean, I don't think the Blue Jays blowing the game says much about who they are. I still think they could be a really interesting team. And the fact that they showed it that they can hang with the Rays like they did all three games there, uh, they are an interesting team, and they could maybe make some noise. Yeah, and I don't – Braves just hit another home run. Yeah, I don't really count out the, the Blue Jays at all for what they did. However, it does show – if it shows anything, it, it shows that they have a very good offense. Um, they have a decent starting staff. and But, you know, the bullpen does have, have some holes. You do have Ken Giles who, you know, don't expect that, uh, don't expect that uh, blown save today to really forecast anything in the future because, I mean, he was one of the best relievers in baseball last year. Exactly. But the bullpen as a whole does have – some holes in it that's why they're not really looked at as a division winner I mean if they if they had a great bullpen they could be definitely someone definitely a team that could compete for the division especially in a 60 game season however you know they're probably more of a third or fourth place team but they're definitely exciting and a team to look out for Mm -hmm. then in the then the two other teams in the AL East that we haven't mentioned the Baltimore Wait, do we Orioles. Need to talk about the series. The, I mean, we had it's baseball. It's a baseball yeah. show. It's a baseball show. These are two of the thirty teams. I think we should talk about this. About this series. So, the uh, the Baltimore Orioles surprised the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox come out hot. They win the first game, thirteen to two. Nathan Eovaldi looks good. Um, the team hits eight doubles, which I think was the. I think that was the most doubles in an opening day game since like yep. 1936. That's what I saw. It was 1936. Yeah, it was a uh, quite the offensive and pitching performance by the Red Sox. And then on Saturday, Martin Perez you, gives you a the five guys runs. In the motorcycle behind me. What was that? Okay, there was a guy just cruising down on his motorcycle, and I was wondering if you could hear it or not. Sorry to interrupt. No, I couldn't. I couldn't really hear that. Okay. Uh, well, ha- however, Martin Perez Perez gives up five runs in the first two innings. Uh, they can't really come back from that. They give up two more runs. The Red Sox offense wasn't great on Saturday. On a Saturday, was it seven to two final? Yeah. Yeah, and then today on Sunday, uh, Ryan Weber gives up five runs as well and uh the red sox i mean they score four runs but that's not going to be enough 
the bullpen gives up one or two runs. The bullpen hasn't been too bad. It's mostly been the starting pitching. And uh, it has been. And yeah, yeah, it turns the, out turns out the Red Sox starting pitching is a problem. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, it's it hasn't it's been it was a problem uh at the beginning. you know, it was a problem last year. And then uh, David Price got traded, and then Chris Sale was out for the year with an elbow injury. Then Colin McHugh opted out for the season, and then Eduardo Rodriguez has yeah. a myocarditis, which is uh, which is it's a it's sort of like a next step in COVID. And I've heard about ten to twenty percent of COVID patients patients get it, so it's not looking too good for Eduardo Rodriguez right now. We wish him nothing but the best. Honestly, I don't think he should be pitching this year. Uh, if the team isn't going to be competitive or if we're losing three-game series to the Orioles, uh, it's not promising. I think he shouldn't be taking any risks. Yeah. I, one, uh, I was uh, watching the Nesson post-game broadcast for a little bit, and apparently uh, Rodriguez said he does want to come back, but of course, like every, every pitch. Every, yeah, you can not want to come back, but he's not yeah. going to do it freely. He's going to make sure he's safe and sound yeah i mean he might he might be able to pitch you know get like five starts 20 innings pitched maybe keep him fresh a little bit but you know probably not much for the 2020 season and i personally don't really have a problem with that i mean they're looking like especially after this last series they're looking like a team that's going to finish below 500 so uh definitely not a good start i mean the, the pitching it was, you know, they're not, they don't have a lot of velocity behind the ball and the balls are catching a lot of plate. Not a lot, not, not something you like to see uh, if you're Red Sox fans like us, but I guess that transitions into the American league central uh, where the Indians and Royals definitely had an interesting series. Um, Shane Bieber yeah. has a, one of the best opening day starts you can have. 14 strikeouts. I, I think you got some some good stats on Shane Bieber's. I sure do. All right. Let me actually let me get a. Uh, yeah, you. I know what you got to do. Let me get it set up. So Shane Bieber, he was particularly dominant on this opening day. He carved up that Royals lineup. In fact, he became the fifth pitcher in baseball history and the first pitcher in Cleveland Indians history with 14 strikeouts on opening day. The last person to do that, Randy Johnson in 1996. How about that indeed? And when, you know, that's really impressive when you consider the fact that opening day is specifically when you throw your ace. So there's plenty of opportunities for 14 Ks on opening day and Shane Bieber, only the fifth person in baseball history to do that 14 strikeouts. Yeah, it was quite, quite unreal. Mm -hmm. So the Indians won game one by the score of two to nothing. Then mm -hmm. in the second game, uh, Brady Singer, we didn't, yeah. We forgot to mention him um, in our uh, season preview, but this well, that's guy. Okay, I have a stat on him. Yeah, he's he is. Um, I think he's the hot big, best pick out of Florida. Yeah, he's the best Royals pitching prospect, and he's one of the better pitching prospects in all of baseball. And he had a solid MLB debut. He went five innings, allowed two earned runs, and he struck out seven. And he was able to keep up with. Uh, a, a guy of more experience, a guy who is also very good. He kept up with Mike Clevenger, who also gave up two earned runs. He went seven innings, 
And uh, your, your Brady Singer statistic? So Brady Singer, you mentioned all those stats there. The one you didn't mention was only three hits. He became the first Royal with three or less hits allowed and seven or more strikeouts in their major league debut. So Brady Singer, he's going to be a guy to look for on that Royals team that we did not mention beforehand. Uh, I'm excited because he he faced a legit team. It's not like he was he was throwing down the Detroit Tigers lineup. The Indians are a legit playoff contender, and Brady Singer could hang with them. So I'm excited to see what he can do uh, for the rest of the brief season. Yeah, and, you know, it's the Royals. The Royals don't have really any pitching, so Brady Singer is probably a – a, a bright a knight in shining armor for that pitching staff and and maybe and definitely has to be the future of that pitching staff because there's not really anyone else uh that's come up yet and then the indians today uh had a very good day offensively um i think jose ramirez hit a home run from both sides of the plate yep and uh they won that game at, what was it nine to two yeah yeah, so the Indians won today, and they won the series as expected. Uh, they are currently two and one. And then in the in the AL Central as well was Twins versus White Sox. This was a very good matchup, one that people should have been excited about. And the Minnesota Twins they had two amazing offensive performances, and sandwiched in there was uh, them getting beat by Dallas Keuchel in Game Two. Uh, what it what did we what did we see in uh, that series? One comment that I would like to make is uh, my rookie of the year pick, Luis Robert. He hit his first career home run today. He had four base hits during the series. The softest hit that he had, 102 miles an hour. <laughs> that is yep. uh, that's something to cherish. Yeah, that's four barrels in one series in three games. So this guy hits the ball hard, and. He's just starting. He wears number 88. He's got a linebacker's number. So, Luis Robert it should be a guy that is on your radar if you ever have the Chicago White Sox on. I, I would say more of, a, uh, more of a tight end wide receiver number. Yeah, but yeah we, we do uh, – it is, it is a football number for sure. You don't see that. You, you don't see that in baseball or even mm-hmm. basketball. Let's talk about the Twins as well. Uh, the offensive surge, just like you always expect with this team – is real. Nelson Cruz hit two home runs today. He's the league leader with three right now. Um, Max Kepler hit two in that first game as well. Uh, so you've been seeing a lot. They've also just done a lot with runners in scoring position too. A lot of extra base hits. The team slugs just like you'd expect. They got to Lucas Giolito pretty early, which was surprising. Ronaldo Lopez. They get, uh, Jake Cave hit a grand slam today off of him. They had eight runs in the first two innings, I believe, today. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I talked about how skeptical I am with the Twins pitching, but that offense is still a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and you know, I personally I would take I would take uh, Luis or uh, Lucas Giolito's performance kind of with a grain of salt. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. Twins, and you know they're they're a team that can get out of the gates hot. You remember, you know, we remember. I think they had the best uh, best record in the American League for a little bit. Um, like in the first two months. Yeah. So they, they're a team that kind of gets out of the gate, gates hot and the That's offense, what they need. the offense, especially. Mm-hmm. So then where the central takes a turn, the mm. Detroit Tigers 
are over 500 after the first series. CJ Crone hit two home runs this series. He had a big, he had a big, uh, big couple games. Jacoby Jones with a big home run. Miggy hit a home run. And before you get into everything, this series kind of personifies everything that concerned me about the Cincinnati Reds. You know, everyone talked about how great they are on paper, the great additions they've made. You go out and get Nick Castellanos. You go out and get Mike Moustakis. You sign Shogo Akiyama from Japan, who looked pretty good. In fact, Joey Votto hit two home runs, which is really encouraging to see. But they went two, two for nine with runners in scoring position over the, past, the last two games of the series. And that is the thing that worries me. You could be the greatest team on paper, but if you're not getting the timely hits, if you're not making the timely pitches like that bullpen was, it doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere if you can't be timely. And the Reds, that's the thing that concerns me. They have a history, a recent history of not being timely. There were a lot of games last year, if you look back, that they probably should have won. And I think there were a couple of those this weekend, especially with the pitching performances that they wasted from Luis Castillo and Trevor Bauer. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing to complain about with the starting pitching this weekend. Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, and Trevor Bauer were all spectacular. but. Uh, yeah, so the Reds won on Friday, and then yesterday the Reds gave up uh, five earned runs in three innings uh, after Luis Castillo had a wonderful performance. In fact, you know these. I saw this on the uh, on the television broad- broadcast, so I can't really give credit to myself, but it is a how about that. The Reds became the first team in baseball history to have ten plus strikeout performances from individual pitchers in each of their first three games. How about that? And they lost two of those games. And they lost two of those games. And it's not like, you know, they had 10 strikeouts and gave up three or four earned runs. They gave up, I think, one earned run each. And, uh, you know, the bullpen has, a, has some rough times. Michael Lorenzen, uh, especially, he gave up three earned runs in each of his past two appearances gave up two big home runs uh on both saturday and sunday or one home run uh two home runs total one home run on saturday one home run on sunday um but yeah i mean one thing i guess you could give credit for for the tigers you know along with their timely hitting spencer turnbull today he gave up one earned run and uh struck out eight and five innings pitched and uh yeah i the (laughs) You know, of, of course, you're going to discredit the Reds because the Tigers were the le- were the worst team last year. Uh, but the Tigers, I guess, you know, over 500 this year. How about that? Yeah. Enjoy that while you can. Yeah. So now uh, onto the onto the National League Central. Um, the Cardinals kind of did what they thought did what we thought the Cardinals would do um, over the. Uh, over Pittsburgh, any uh, any takes on St. Louis versus uh, Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean, the starting pitching looked really good. Jack Flaherty on Friday, obviously, uh, did his thing. Luka. Wainwright can still – can... Oh, wait. Adam Wainwright can still hang with the best of them, and he showed that on Saturday. I know – I guess you could take it with a grain of salt because of it being the Pirates, uh, but they got to Trevor Williams on that day. Uh, today, Mitch Keller pitched pretty well, which is encouraging because he was a big-name prospect for them when he was first coming up. Uh, Cardinals had some timely hitting. Paul DeYoung had a home run in the series. So did Dexter Fowler. Yadier Molina had a couple key singles. 
that drove in some runs, which is cool to see, obviously, from Yachty uh, in the late stages of his career. This could be it for him this year. You never really know. Um, Paul Goldschmidt, 417 average with an 1128 OPS. Need to see that. That's huge. We were talking about how, you know, you said uh, he has to believe I have to have he has to have, I believe, an 890 OPS for the Cardinals to make the playoffs. I said 880. It's a weird 880. Okay. Weird arbitrary. Well, hey, 1120 is not bad. 1120 is not bad. I mean, I know it's the Pirates, but it's a good start. And you know, you should. Yeah, everyone should be rooting for Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. He's definitely. He's been under the radar for a while, and the guy's on a Hall of Fame track. And uh, I mean, we're. I think we'll be looking at this guy. Um, you know, seven, eight years from now, he'll probably join the 500 club at 500 home run club at some point. And uh, I, he's definitely on a hall of fame track. He's, and he's also very good uh, offensively or defensively and also pretty good for a first baseman on the bases. So yeah, exactly. I, we're a, we're a pro Paul, Paul Goldschmidt uh, show, but I mean, I, I think the, the series to look for in the national league central was the Cubs and the Brewers. And uh, it was, it was a very interesting series. It was back and forth. Yeah, for sure. It starts off with Kyle Hendricks. Yeah. Uh, just shoving it. Uh, Complete game, the- three hits, all to Orlando RC. Uh, game <laughs> score of 90 in that first day. That's huge. Uh, so then Saturday – did, what did you think of the virtual fans on Fox? Because that was the first time we saw it on Saturday. I mean, it did. It looked exactly like uh, MLB the show. My question is, why aren't they wearing masks? I mean, it's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on now. I mean, I, I don't really understand that. However, you know what? I mean, Wrigley's got to generate revenue somehow. And I guess, you know, I guess that's how you got to do it. But yeah. I mean, I guess uh, one one final thing I will say about Kyle Hendricks. I I didn't write the stat down, but did did you say it? Because I lost you for a little for a second there. Mm-hmm. But okay, so Kyle Hendricks, uh, his game score on an opening day, uh, it was the best game score in a in a game pitched in nine innings or less. You know, a regular a regulation game. It was the best game score in a regulation game on opening day since Bob Gibson in 1967. How about that? So Kyle Hendricks had quite quite the opening day for himself. Yeah. It was the best uh, best opening day, in fact, by a pitcher since uh, 19, in 53 years. That, you know, most people had not seen an opening day like that uh, in their lifetime. But yeah, Kyle yeah, Hendricks... Kyle Hendricks was unbelievable. And then on Saturday, um, one thing one thing that can't be seen on paper, the Cubs took a little issue with some up-and-in pitches by Corbin Burns. Yeah, I did see that. There was a – benches clearing in a pandemic is weird. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not encouraged, but, I mean, how else are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. And then the Cubs, so the Brewers uh, smacked you Darvish around. That's not good for me on Saturday. They won that game 8-3. to three. And the Cubs returned the favor today. 
They won, I believe it was nine to one. Nine to one. Yeah, that was the final score today. Rizzo hit a home run. A uh, few others as well. Let me check. Let me just make sure I know exactly who hit those home runs for the Cubs today. But uh, a two to one win for my sleeper team. So that's big uh, for my NL Central champs. Chris, do you have any thoughts on this series? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think I think we saw we expected, you know, disappointing day from you Darvish but he should be able to recover good good stuff from Kyle Hendricks or else I look really bad yeah bad stuff from Kyle Hendricks uh Christian Yelich hit a home run over the weekend that was good that was good to see but yeah I did I think think let's see Um, Wilson Contreras had a home run and Ian Happ homered in that game as well Ian Happ three home runs that's Ian Happ is Chris's guy yeah, that's my uh, So the Cubs are two and one. The Brewers are now one and two. And we are going to shift gears into the American League West. The A's and Angels. They had an interesting series. We mentioned the Matt Olson walk-off Grand Slam on Friday. Uh, Liam Hendricks blowing a save in his first appearance on a home run to Jason Castro was pretty concerning. But yeah, that- obviously Olson crushes that ball. I mean, that was a no-doubter. And it looks so effortless, too. Yeah, it was, uh, it was yeah, it was lefty on lefty, and I think it was a hanging slider, and uh, yep, yeah, yeah, he really just took it to that ball. The Liam Hendricks uh, home run, the you know, obviously it's his first uh, first appearance of the season, but I think it did. Uh, one thing that was mentioned on the A's broadcast today is it did come after a questionable O2 call. Um, yeah, that. You know, I think Liam Hendricks definitely wanted in his favor. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I guess I guess the term is overreaction Monday. But, I mean, Liam Hendricks today, uh, don't want to get too ahead, but today he gets the – He looked good. One- and he struck out Jason Castro, I think. He got yeah. him out in some way. Yeah, he got a 1-2-3 save today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Saturday, go over Saturday because I didn't really catch yeah. any – Saturday. Okay, really the only thing that was important was Dylan Bundy because the Angels are a team that has desperately needed good pitching for a long time. There's a lot of concern over the acquisitions they brought in this offseason being Dylan Bundy and Julio Tehran, guys that haven't really proven much or might be over the hill. But Dylan Bundy, huge outing. He gets them the win. And his game score of 71 would have been tied for the second best on the Angels in 2019. So already he's bringing in something that the Angels did not have, which is huge. Yeah, and uh, the Angels won uh, by the score of what? Uh, four to one, maybe. I know. I remember Justin Upton homered. I will get that up in a second. But today, uh, Shohei Otani started. It was bad. It was really bad. He did not record an out. He had, I believe, was it five earned runs? Yeah, five earned runs. Yeah, he gave up time. seven. Four to one. It was four to one, yeah. Yeah, he gave up seven consecutive base runners. Yeah, not good. Not great. Uh, the, the Angels were already down 5 nothing in the first uh, very quickly. They actually got back in it. Mike Trout hit a three-run home run on, on, on 3-0. He later hit a sack fly. He had all four RBIs for the Angels today, uh, but it wasn't enough as they lost 6-4. to four. Hendricks looked good. And that is uh, – that's the A's and Angels. And uh, uh, one one note, Matt uh, Andres, I think his yep, name Matt is. Andrews. 
Yeah, he came. He came in relief, and he get, he went five and two thirds scoreless. So that's yep. def, that's definitely something you should. Guy, I mean that that's a guy you should probably put in your rotation now. Yeah, I mean because the Angels can take any they they'll take anything they can get as far as starting pitching. And Matt Andrews was looked really encouraging today. Yeah, and uh, you know, not a not a good look from Shohei Otani. That's his first pitching appearance since 2018. Um, yep. I don't know if it's a sign of things to come, you know, definitely what's alarming is the, is the three walks, you know, anybody can really give up uh, singles like that, but you know, three walks, especially three walks in a row to uh, bring in a run, not something you like, hopefully for him and the angels, he can get that control in order, but mm-hmm. yeah, that, that transitions into the other West where the Rangers and Rockies um, nope, you off. forgot the Astros and Mariners. Oh, right. That's correct. Yep. That series went just about as expected. Uh, one thing I would like to note, Taylor Williams, uh, who I presumably is the closer for the Ams, he did give up a run in the ninth, but he struck out Springer, Altuve, and Bregman to end the game today. So that that was interesting. I obviously mentioned the meat of the Mariners order with uh, Kyle Seeger, Kyle Lewis, and J.P. Crawford. I'm really excited to see what they can do. Uh, but the Astros, they won the series two to one. Uh, you know, the offense just, it's, it's too good to be stopped in the first two games. And even today when they lost, they scored six runs. Like that's, you, you win that most of the time. Today just wasn't those, one of those days. But Verlander looked good. We're hoping we can see him back soon. McCullers looked really good in his return to the mound uh, after Tommy John. And the offense did that thing. George Springer hit a home run. Yuli Gurriel, I think, went deep. Uh, Michael Brantley, I believe, did the same thing. It's pretty much the usual sus- usual suspects uh, that were on for the Astros this weekend. Yeah, and you know, luckily we'll be able to see them see that offense get tested uh, in their next series against mm-hmm. the Dodgers. Yes. So yeah, that now we can go to the Rangers and Rockies, two teams that um, have, I guess, some hope, but are pretty much middle of the road as of now in their divisions. Uh, the Rangers made their uh, first appearance in uh, what's, what's it called? Globe Life Field. Okay. Uh, I knew it was, glo- I, I remembered it was Globe Life. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Globe Life Park before, and now it's a field. Yes. So, yeah, they went, from, they went from the park to the field, and this is yep. an in- indoor field. And, yeah, the, the Rangers uh, – yeah, the Rangers started off and they won game one, right? Yeah, they did. One takeaway that I had, not a lot of offense to start out in the new stadium, especially if you have the Colorado Rockies, which are notorious for having great offenses. The first game, the Rangers were getting no hit by Herman Marquez until the sixth. They ended up winning that game one to nothing on a on a double by Rudnett Odor. Lance Lynn got the win. He looked good. Um, in the second game, uh, we'll get to the big story from the second game, but uh, yeah, only a 3-2 win for the Rockies. Uh, no home runs hit in the first two games of the series. But the thing that matters, Daniel Bard got the win. His first appearance in seven years, getting over the yips. And he ended up getting the win for Colorado in that second game. Uh, it was a really cool story. He pitched an inning and a third, allowed two hits, struck out one, and got the W, which was awesome. And today, Joey Gallo hit the first home run in the new stadium, but Trevor Story followed up with two of his own 
and the Rockies ended up winning that se- uh, that game today, four to two. Uh, so six runs total was the most amount scored in a single game so far in that stadium, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, and uh, I guess I guess one thing that does change is I think that that park factor with Texas kind of gets taken away. It, it has been known. Texas has been known as an offensive spot. It's hotter. The ball travels a little better. And from what I understand, yeah. there's like a nice jet stream to right center field. And when it's indoors, that somewhat gets taken away. Well, that so, goes away. so how your offense does is completely um, dependent on your personnel now. So, yeah, and I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense that the Rangers invested in pitching this offseason. Like, you, you know, you already had great seasons from Lance Lynn and Mike Miner. You go out and get Kyle Gibson. You trade for Corey Kluber. Pretty good moves. Uh, in hindsight, seeing that this park may play to pitchers more. Oh, yeah, and Corey Kluber uh, left his start earlier earlier today, right? Yeah, he did, but he didn't pitch that bad. Yeah, I, I think he had some, some tightness, but I think it's a day-to-day injury, and I think he should be yep. good for the day um, or good for the, good for the season. But, yeah, the Daniel Bard comeback is definitely something awesome. – yeah, you, that's probably you, the best thing that's happened so far this year. Yeah, that's that's a great story. I mean, especially for a guy who never really made the money that he was going to make, and now he gets a, a mm-hmm. comeback. And you know, if he has a good year this year, then you know he could make a he could make some money on the free agent market, whether it be with the Rockies or another team. Um, you know, relievers do get paid a little bit more nowadays. But, you know, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's we're back. For, yeah. We're rooting for Daniel Bard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely rooting for Daniel Bard. And as for the rest of the National League West, we have the Dodgers and Giants open up the season on the West Coast on Thursday night. Uh, so far, this series yep. is kind of going as, as expected. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers won uh, two of the first three games. The Giants did come back in the third game uh, to win that one 5-4. to four. Uh, Max Muncy entering today as the major league wins above replacement leader with 0.5, which I guess isn't much of a surprise when you've played three games and everyone else has played two, but he's been performing. Mookie Betts has been struggling so far, but it's three games and that's going to change. I'm not that worried about that. Uh, interesting that the Dodgers waited to pitch Walker Buehler until this, until next week. He did not go in this series and the Dodgers have had no problem. Uh, the series finale is tonight in a few hours it's going to be drew smiley versus julio urias my prediction is the dodgers win obviously uh and that's about all i have for that you have anything else about the dodgers no i mean pretty much as expected you know they should tonight make it a a, a four game series win three out of four that's pretty much par for the course uh, every no one is undefeated and no one is winless. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is funny. How about that? How about that? Yeah, usually, you know, one team will start like 5-0 and or something like that, or 0-5. Nope, not this year. No, not this year, yeah. Interesting. But, yeah, then the final, final series that we have yet to talk about um, – Padres, Diamondbacks, very interesting series. And the guy who led the way in the first game is the guy that we love to meme on, 
me on, and it was Eric Hosmer. He had two doubles and six RBIs in that game, two different three-run doubles. And he became the first player in baseball history with two doubles and six RBIs on opening day. You know, we've talked about Eric Hosmer's launch angle or lack thereof a lot. Uh, he's been lifting the ball a lot this weekend. I've watched a lot of it, and I'm excited to see what can happen there. Uh, obviously, he dominated that first game. In the second game, uh, Denelson Lamette looked really good. He struck out eight and gave up one run over five innings pitched. A day after Paddock went six shutout innings, Manny Machado hit a home run in that game. Will Myers hit a home run in that game. So the Padres are looking really encouraging. Uh, the Diamondbacks offense, I don't know if I don't know if we're, if we're supposed to be concerned about them or if the Padres pitching just looks really good. But coming into the eighth inning of this game, they only had they only had scored three runs over twenty seven innings or no over twenty five innings that season so far. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. I I did uh, mid game I was looking at their runners and scoring position numbers, and up until uh, Starling Marte tied the game up with an RBI single. Uh, the Diamondbacks were three for 20 with runners in scoring position yeah, in that series. And then, you know, they turn it around. Starling Marte gets that weird, uh, weird ground ball down the right field line to a single. And then it's first and third. The middle of the infield is not in and uh, someone grounds into a double play, but the runner from third scores, it's two to one. Diamondbacks. And then it's, and then the Diamondbacks give up the lead in the bottom of the eighth. However, in the top of the ninth, uh, Kirby Yates uh, gave up a single and walked two guys, I think. And then what was it? Mm -hmm. It was a single to – or it was a sack fly. Yeah, there was a sack fly. Um, and, yeah, Emilio Pagan was the guy in the eighth inning who struggled. And, and then it was uh, Kirby Yates – in the ninth inning, he yeah. had some struggles. Um, kind of concerning. However, you know, it is – we are just three games into the season, but definitely unusual. And uh, luckily for the Diamondbacks, they're able to take advantage of that and at least get one out of that out of that series. Because I think, especially for the Diamondbacks, it's, the, it's expanded playoffs. Every single game is very important for them. Yeah, and I mean – you know, we talk about lack of depth in the NL Central outside or in the NL West outside the Dodgers. One of those teams is guaranteed a playoff spot. Yes. Yeah, that's extremely important. And, because the way know, it's formatted, it's, yeah. Yeah, both. The way it's formatted is the second place teams in each division are the four, five, and six seeds. So either the Padres, Diamondbacks, Rockies, or Giants are guaranteed a playoff spot, one of them at least. Yeah, and both of us. It's important because both of us had the Diamondbacks as the second place team, but not as one of the wild card teams. That's right. But now, if they're in second place, they're guaranteed a spot. However, you know, maybe the Padres, um, or you know, I guess the Rockies or Giants, but mostly, mostly the Padres, or maybe even the Rockies. Yeah. Could realistically get in that second place spot and maybe make some noise in the playoffs. So now that, that does it for our recap of the weekend series. Uh, we're going to shift our focus into next week, and we are going to talk about uh, matchups, teams, players, anything you should look for. My matchup to look for, not edgy at all. It's the Astros and Dodgers, of course, in Houston. 
Dodgers are coming in there. You know they have a grudge that they're holding. I know that they won't be able to rile up the crowd, A, because it's in Houston, and B, because there is no crowd. But the Dodgers are playing with a chip on their shoulder. They saved Walker Buehler specifically for that first game. So you know they're not messing around this weekend. Yeah, the, the Astros and Dodgers, every single baseball fan is going to be tuned in it's in some way, shape, or form on that game. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, Rays and Braves series. I'm, I'm looking to see uh, what the pitching matchups are. Mm-hmm. I know my guy to look for, Mike Fulton-Nevich, is going to pitch in that series. I believe he's pitching uh, game one of that series. So, yeah, you got – yeah, first game of the series, you got Mike Fulton-Nevich versus Tyler Glass now. Um, that's definitely going to be something to look for. I predict that Cy it's going to be – Yeah, that's your Cy Young pick. I predict that's going to be mm-hmm. a pitcher's duel. Um, although, you know, Mike Fulton-Nevich could have a bad start again, a uh, bad start to the season again. But I personally think it will be a pitcher's duel. And then uh, – if you look for the other matchups, just trying to pull that, pull that up for myself. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? You got Yanni Chirinos versus Kyle Wright. I mean, yeah. not the not the most sexy matchup, but it's still the Rays and the Braves. And then the third still, game. Still not, not, they're not bad pitchers at all, though. Yeah, definitely not. And then I think you got Mike Soroka versus some type of opener. And is it only a three-game series? Yeah, I believe so. Or actually, no, it is no, a four-game. I think, I think there's a lot of four-games. There's a lot of interleague play this weekend, and Marcelo Zuna just cranked one. That's out of the yard. That is 11-1 Braves. Speaking of the Braves, they're up 11-1 on the Mets right now. Uh, yeah, no, a lot of four-game series, a lot of interleague play. Uh, so do you want to get into players to watch now, for now? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, don't have, I don't have many particularly. Um, All right. I guess- oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say, I mean, I'm curious to see. I think Yoan Moncada, your White Sox got to look for. He had two pretty good games against the uh, Twins. Yeah. Yeah, Twins. And he's facing the Indians pitching staff this weekend or this uh, upcoming week. And uh, he's got Aaron Savale first game. And I think eventually he'll be facing Shane Bieber as well. Um, I think that'll be a good matchup of two kind of powerhouses you know you got the Indians pitching staff uh with Savale and Bieber you know the five starter maybe not the most exciting thing in the world and then you got Yoan Moncada who's you know he's been very good will probably be you know will probably be an all-star and also the a king of exit velocity yes so I got two guys that I'm watching for and they're both playing against each other one of them I mentioned earlier is Kyle Lewis from the Mariners. This guy has come up. He came up last year, posted a 921 OPS, and he has done nothing but hit. He hit a ball on the train tracks the first day in Houston. He had another home run the next day. Obviously, he has an over 13 OPS, uh, 1,300 OPS so far this year. He's going to be facing off against the Angels. And my, my guy from the Angels to watch, it's not edgy at all. Uh, it's, it's Mike Trout, obviously. Chris, do you want to guess how many weighted runs created plus he had against the Mariners last season? Uh, last season, I'm going to guess uh, 269. A little bit less. Okay. Still great, though. Uh, 248. little lower. You're getting there. Uh, 241. 
It was 237. 200. Still 130. Still 137 percent above the rest of the league when facing the Mariners. This guy completely owns them, and it's Mike Trout. So of course you got to watch him. His career OPS is hovering right around a thousand. That's always a reason to watch him. Uh, I know it's I know it's real edgy. Uh, I don't care. I'm still picking Mike Trout. Yeah, and you know the Angels are never a nationally broadcast team, so you have to be reminded Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. Don't exactly. let any don't let any social media fool you. You know, I know a lot of players are making real good plays. I know I know DJ LeMahieu was very good last year. I know I know Aaron Judge is really tall. I get it. Yeah, I understand that Tim Anderson is uh good at, you know, getting base hits. However, his walk rate is negative. Austin Riley just freaking destroyed one. Oh my god. That just hit the facade above the upper deck. Oh, I'm going to have to look at that later. You need to see. Okay, if you did – it just cut to – who was that? It just cut to a player on the Mets who had his jaw dropped. That was the farthest home run I've ever seen at City Field. I need to – hold on. I need to get the stat cast on that as soon as possible. I'm not going to change the subject until we get – what is that? 111 miles per hour off the bat. So it's a 467. I don't believe that. That looked way farther. Holy cow. Okay, no, I need to get – Launch angle, 100, okay, 111 off the bat. I can't see if the TV's too far away. Uh, I need to see how far that, that home run was that Austin Riley just hit. Oh, my goodness. Uh, come on. Come on. One, one stat I will fill in is uh, one of our, one of our uh, peers, Luke, just sent into our group chat, uh, shared a tweet. It said, first time in 66 years that no MLB team has started 3-0. and Perfect. How about that? Love that. First time in 66 years. How far that ball was. That's uh, 1954. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. I really wish I was close to my TV so I could see how far Austin Riley hit that ball. That was the farthest home run I've ever hit. Uh, oh, 458. I don't believe that. I think that was farther than 458. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I think they have moved in the fences at City Field, but. No, no, no. That hit the facade above the second deck. It went over the, it, it almost went in the, into the 500 level seating, Chris. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to see that. Yeah. And Lily, the broadcast cut to someone on the Mets with their jaw dropped. Oh, MLB just, just tweeted it out. But yeah. yeah all right. Look at this thing. That's uh, I guess that is our our show. That's. Yeah. Do you have any uh, other players to look for? No, that was. If you haven't seen the Austin Riley home run from Sunday night, you need to watch it. Wow, that thing was hammered. That was destroyed. All right, well that's gonna do it. Uh, we would like to thank Baseball Reference and Fangraphs as always for their contributions to the show. All their stats can be found there. Yeah, and uh, also Baseball Savant. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that is the end of our uh, first first show about regular yeah. season baseball. There we go. I, I'm, I wonder what I'm going to title the episode, but we'll, we'll see about first it. First weekend recap or something like that? Possibly, yeah. So, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to think of something right now. It's the first thing that comes to mind, and that's where you're going to name it. So 
people who are watching the episode are going to be confused why it's named that. And uh, that's going to be the reason why. Okay. Well, all right. This episode I, uh, is going to be named. Uh, hmm. It's going to be named Ceiling Fan because I'm looking at one right now. All right. So that's going to be the name of the episode. Yep. Fantastic. So I hope you enjoyed right. episode number 47, Ceiling Fan. Uh, That's right. We would, we would like to thank you to listen, listen to that. Um, I hope, uh, hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, follow me at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel at Daniel underscore Curran. Uh, if you mm-hmm. want to, uh, wa- if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you want to watch us talk, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It is STBNL with Chris Gianta and Daniel Curran. Also, you should follow our uh, podcast Instagram. It is at STBNL Podcast. And uh, we would like to thank you for listening to our first weekend recap. And we look forward to seeing you on Thursday or Friday. Um, when we're going to be reviewing the uh, the past series of the uh, of the middle of the week, All so right. we'll see you then.